Kirchie and welcoming Luke Allen, our guest for the week, or sadly the final time. Yeah, it's been been a journey. It feels like I've been here for ages now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as a yeah, compliment it is, it rather is a compliment. than a dick. But in a way, I have actually been here for a week. <laughs> so, yeah, it's yeah, fair enough. Some some inside baseball and recording times. Yeah, we to, to those who are unaware, which is probably everyone, um, we did the first three one week and these the last episode and this episode a week later so it's kind of like this show's just been on the back of my mind for a week um which logically would have been time to prepare more notes and to rewatch the film but instead it's just time for me to to sit and think about doing that well that's i mean that's the first step and arguably the only step you really need to yeah, do right yeah. thinking about doing things is the same as doing them. well i i i've Sorry. been complimented on my i think i might have said this in an earlier episode i don't know it was a week ago uh, i've been complimented on my skill <laughs> of kind of making stuff up and rambling and making it sound like i know what i'm on about so i i enjoy doing, doing this and seeing how far i can push it to sort of vaguely sounding like i know what i'm talking about when most of the time i'm just rambling and guessing i think that's most of the human condition but also i'm a philosopher so that's actually my bread and butter um uh yeah so we're minute 20 time code is 0019 to 001959 last minute we were benoit richard interview and we're cutting to the uh we just cut to harlan and richard's argument in flashback uh harlan says i'm going to tell her we saw uh a lap um a laptop with uh richard and some asian woman laughing in a car together start the minute mid-sentence harlan in this letter to her tomorrow she gets it richard warns him they have a back and forth uh harlan yells you tell her i will um we cut back to richard being interviewed out of flashback uh we have this prolonged um moment of richard being yes i know yes ha uh harlan had finally decided to put his mom in a nursing home and linda had always opposed that um we then cut to uh jody's now uh, in the hot seat uh and says the house benoit goes uh early your uh, richard said you were there joni i was at the house early to see harlan Joni says to see Harlan, yes. And then Blanc says, what were you seeing Harlan about? And that's the end of our minute. So again, another minute where not a lot. Sort of dialogue light in the sense of a lot of it is people saying a thing and then repeating a thing. Yeah. Um, and I just, I know, I realize it's towards the latter part of the minute, but I just want to talk about how underrated an actress Tony Collette is. Like she's in so much and people just don't really know who she is. I think it's a shame. Because uh, her performance is really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think that's actually a good point. I mean, one of the things I want to talk about was 
sort of how much of these scenes rely on the actors doing their thing. Mm. Um, sort of like I think we sort of talked about it yesterday. Uh, the um, the nonverbal or the space between words and the facial body um, acting that happens. And given that these are people sitting in an interview chair, it's mostly a sort of facial and, and, and posture um, play. Uh, and like Tony Collette here, um, like she she is so good, right? There's a lot of looking up. There's like eye fluttering. There's clearly thinking. And, and we, you know, we get from earlier scenes, we know Joni's not quick. Yeah. And so you see her working through how much she needs to figure out, as well as figuring it out. I feel like in this yeah. like last ten seconds of I just of the feel scene, I just minute. feel genuinely, generally with Tony Collette just as an actress in general. I've read her general several times. Then uh, <laughs> I think it's just people would be surprised when they look through her filmography and go like she was. Sixth Sense, Hereditary, About a Boy, Knives Out, Little Miss Sunshine. Like, these are big movies, but she's one of those kind of chameleon actors that just fits so perfectly that you're not watching the film and distracted by who they are, which is a blessing and a curse. I'd say, I'd say it's the yeah, same think... with Donald Gleeson. I think he, as an actor, is someone who, if you look through his filmography, you're like, whoa, he's in, like, every film. But he's so different that you're, no, you're never watching and thinking, oh, there's Donald Gleeson. Yeah, I think that, that that's very astute that they have that shared quality. Um, it's it's funny with Tony Collette because she's very striking, and uh, you know, you looking at her face, you wouldn't be like, oh, confusing her with someone else, no. for example. But but it, you're right; it, it's the um, chameleonic acting. It's like she absorbs herself into. I the I think movie, it might be her know, accent and, work as well, which is amazing. Like she's Australian, but. She's yeah. in so many British movies and American films where I assumed that she was British and that she was just good at doing an American accent. So to find out that she's actually Australian and just good at both is kind of amazing. Like, um, there's a brilliant Christmas film called Foster that she's in, which, like, hardly anyone's heard of. It's a pretty, like, small film, I think. But it is such a lovely, sweet kind of uh, emotional journey of a film. And... It's just, yeah, so it's like seeing her things like that and uh, About a Boy is a movie I love. Um, I just, yeah, it it's, I don't know what there is to say. Well, Muriel's Wedding as well. That was a big, big film, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, even even me acknowledging how I, uh, how people don't recognize Tony Collette, I'm going through her filmography and being like, whoa, she was in that? <laughs> So it's yeah, it's it's a good credit to an actor, but I'm wondering whether it's a good or bad thing to their careers. It definitely doesn't. It, it's a quality that I think goes well with with projects of this mm. size. Um, but probably I wouldn't be surprised if it hurts in the like you're never going to get the big leading role in the giant picture because you have this odd quality of sort of melting into the 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 yeah, show. Yeah, I feel like. I feel like you couldn't sell a film on Tony Collette as the lead. For a while, I mean, people can kind of break out of it. I'd say for a while, Rachel McAdams was at that point as well, where it's like one of those people who you're you're constantly watching and thinking there's going to be a peak, they're going to be a massive superstar, and then 
it just doesn't quite happen. But I don't know. It's interesting. Mm. Rachel McAdams made it obviously slightly bigger, but I think still she never quite hit what everyone expected Rachel McAdams was going to hit. I don't know. I, I'm not criticizing actors' careers. I'm just kind of acknowledging how interesting it is. Uh, yeah, it's not, and, and how weird it is. Like, there's so many weird vectors, like, or not vectors, but um, uh, variables at play. It's kind um, of interesting, yeah, kind of how it's. I think people often think it's quite predictable as to who's going to become like a big celebrity and who's going to, but actually there, there's, yeah, there are so many, so, so many kind of ways in which they end up not hitting it big, even if they're in all these major films. There's a lot more work into becoming famous than people might think, I guess. Exactly. And I mean, it is odd when you see Hollywood putting their, uh, all the chips on one horse and that just not mm. working. Like, is especially true for like young male actors of like a certain look will just like get multiple starring roles and it never quite taking but still getting that that extra kick maybe this yeah, time yeah who am i are there someone um, i'm thinking of and i can't think what his name is it's one of the blokes from twilight i think who did uh i've never seen twilight so i could be wrong but I feel like one of the guys who the one who ended up being in Cuckoo with Greg Davies. Mm. I remember watching Cuckoo and I don't remember a thing about it. Who am I thinking of? Uh, Taylor Lautner. Oh yes, I of think, course. I yes. think the, it, the wolf yeah, boy. I think he was one of them. I think there was a period where they would have kind of thrown him in everything, and obviously he has got a pretty good, a pretty large fan base. But I think everyone expected him to be, and be bigger than he became. Yeah, I mean, for him, it's interesting because, like, no one, he was one of the main characters in the first Twilight. No one expected Twilight to be as big. And so I feel like there it was like, um, well, he's already got such, so many fans that putting him in a film will just get the fans. Yeah. Like, it's almost like, a, well, he's already broken out, so he's a, he's a shoe in. And then taking Hollywood a few times back at the can to realize, oh, People liked Twilight, and they liked the people in Twilight in Twilight, but they didn't necessarily like the people in Twilight out of Twilight. Hold up, he was in a he was in a short film sequel to Field of Dreams. I just saw that. Too. <laughs> I'm so confused, but I need to watch this because uh, I can't tell. Oh my god! So so, two, two, 2011, Field of Dreams two lockout. A small town Iowa farmer who fed up with the NFL lockout decides to build his own football field after hearing voice instructions from beyond. But it's three minutes. Yikes. <laughs> it's... That's... I don't even... I, I will also seek this out. I am, I am Googling <laughs> it now. Because <laughs> field, field of Dreams is not a film that needs a sequel. It's just a beautiful film. Uh... It, it, it doesn't make sense to have a sequel, one might argue. And this is clearly a, uh, pardon the pun, a spiritual sequel. It's it, uh, um, it, it's again. all explained now. It's by Funny or Die on YouTube. Oh, uh, okay. Then then that makes sense. Okay. Good old Funny or Die. Okay. I I mean, who knows if it's any good, I've, I've got it loaded but... up. I will watch it after this. <laughs> I've found it. Excellent. Um, but yeah, that, that just um, kind of big tangent there. But Field of Dreams 2 is a thing, apparently. Uh, probably unofficial, I assume, but... Uh, yeah, t tune in when we do our minute-by-minute -minute podcast on Field of Dreams 2. I mean, it's only going to be three episodes long, but boy, will they be great. Um, I'd be in for that. I'd, I'd, <laughs> back, uh, <laughs> I'm in. 
Yeah. Uh, let's get slightly back, more back on track. Um, I mean, so in a roundabout way, we're saying the cast really is important yeah. to this film. And I think uh, like we started talking about yesterday and, and a bit today, the so much of, of this um, is like these interview scenes are so well done because these just face on shots sort of um, like bust shots, mm. right? Like shoulders and head um, focusing on the char- characters emoting and the fact that they are o- becoming aware that they need to do subterfuge and then crafting and giving the subterfuge yeah. all at once. And it's all over their faces along with the ums and ahs or the yes. Uh, right. Yeah. I think like, that's I think such those... an important thing to write and it's so easy to forget when you're writing like i know at least in kind of my screenwriting stuff i have so many of my characters just speaking proper english because i'm like it's got to be grammatically correct and it's like nope it really doesn't and it's um yeah i I think it's a thing which it shows great skill in writing to have that or especially one thing which you don't see a ton in cinema um i don't think is literally just someone like have a conversation where you just kind of miss a bit and you say, "Oh, what could you repeat that?" Or something like you don't get that. And I think what Ryan Johnson does here is the closest to that, and it's great. Yeah, again, with a lot of, I, I think so. Part of it is just the actors selling it, but the, the script is also doing some of that lifting, right? Because there's a lot of these uhs or this yes, like and the repetition uh, uh, Joni does, right? It's so. Early, Richard said you were there, and Joni goes, I was at the house early. And then Benoit goes, to see Harlan? To see Harlan. Yes. like Yeah, that's how people talk, and it's so rarely done. Especially when they're, like, on the back foot. Right? Joni is like, I'm being interviewed by cops. I don't know what it's about. I have reasons that I don't... Don't cast me in a good light if something bad happened to Harlan. So I'm going to tread carefully. Mm. And like that repetition is saying all of that, right? It's like that I am on the, there's a, you know, immediately because of that repetition that there's, she's on the back foot. Well, why would she be on the back foot? There's got to be some reason, right? Yeah, I think as well, kind of when we're touching on the cast, and I may have said this last week or a couple of years ago, um, and it kind of links to what I was saying yesterday about all the kind of mainstream versus niche, but once again, there is nothing wrong with a film relying on actors being well-known and and playing upon that and playing upon your preconceptions of the cast. That's an intelligent bit of filmmaking in itself. And I think, I think even that among the mainstream versus niche area is something where if you've got loads of well-known actors, you instantly go, it's probably a bad movie. Understandably, Valentine's Day and Mother's Day, for example. But, um, <laughs> like, I think... I'm I'm going to say it as a as a filmmaker as a film fan I really like Mamma Mia. <laughs> I think I might have discussed this actually. I really like Mamma Mia and that film relies upon these are well-known actors you're seeing having fun. And I think this film kind of does the same in they're expecting that you know several members of the cast and that's what makes it such a fun thing to see the entertainment of seeing these two people from two films you might love together interacting with each other. And I think I think that's fine to do rather than the kind of 
the kind of taboo on a film relying upon famous actors just for advertising. Yeah, I guess I think the the key here is that um, yeah, it's an ensemble cast, and that's definitely was part of the draw that caused a bunch of people to mm. see it. Right? It's like, wow, look at this cast. Um, but it the moments of the film don't rely on that external stuff. The actors yeah. are all, like, bar none, the actors are all just doing a great job. But I think like, this film's also and that a job fun could be, film. So the the entertainment yeah. you get out of it is part of that. Yeah, I mean, I, so so I think that's the the key difference. But you're right; some films sort of don't have that next step, and that's why you, ensemble. Like, if it's just trading on these are people, a bunch of people getting a paycheck, and you'll come because you like half of these, you, you'll recognize half these names. Uh, that's the, there are movies out there that yeah. are like that, and that's why um, ensembles have do have a more sketchy re- reputation because people have only traded on that versus. Hardly to make to make that. the music to make the musicals point actually to anyone who is a who are musical fans, it's what separates Mamma Mia from Les Miserables. Um, whilst I still like Mamma Mia for doing that, Mamma Mia's reliance on you recognize these people, you're having fun. To Les Miserables, these are just talented actors. It doesn't matter you're watching Hugh Jackman. Uh, admittedly, people might debate that Russell Crowe was only cast because he's well known because they clearly didn't cast him because he could sing. Um, but it's mm. it was it that was definitely a film that just had well known people because they were good because then you throw in people like Samantha Barks who's not a who who's not known by cinema goers but instead just known as one of the West End's best Eponines and I think mm. I think that's where that fun comes in uh, but Lame Miz didn't need fun because it's not a fun film. <laughs> um, Whereas Mamma Mia does, I think. Uh, I, I'm partially losing the point I was trying to make, but hopefully I made it somewhere in there. Yeah, I, 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 I'm riding your wave. Um, yeah, so, uh, I mean, is there anything else that jumped out at you about this minute? It, I feel like what I liked about this minute was very much similar to what um, I like. Uh, I liked about the last yeah. minute. Uh, I guess one thing we have we sort of skipped over yesterday. Maybe we can talk about the two minutes in general. Um, is um, what they're doing to the narrative? Yeah. Because um, I think we we talked about the filmmaking, the editing, the acting. We sort of forgot about the story part. Mm-hmm. Um, and before we sort of wrap up and then go into spoiler territory, um, as the end of the week episode is want to do, I think it'd be useful to sort of just talk about. What what the film's doing sort of here in these this this first twenty minutes these la- the last of the first twenty minutes. Yeah, definitely, and I'm gonna hand that mostly over to you because I can't remember much of the film. Um, but fair yeah, enough. That's, uh, that's guess, why I've yeah gone into the filmmaking stuff because it's 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 my old technique of make it sound like I know what I'm talking about, but avoid the bits I don't. And I've called you out on yeah. it by accident. It's, so, it's it's the same technique uh, I use in in lessons uh which works really well that i probably shouldn't reveal but i'll reveal it is like in some of my classes it's like i will deliberately over talk about the bits that i know really well so when it gets to the difficult questions or the stuff i don't know the teacher's already like well luke's spoken loads i won't ask him again and it's yeah yeah that's that's a very standard Mm -hmm. technique uh i know well (laughs) um so so i guess what i was really referring to or, or sort of coyly referring to um is uh at this stage 
we don't have a lot of information about what actually happened. Um, and uh, it's a, it's this this chunk and the chunk before it and a bit after, obviously. Um, are these how we're learning about the relationships um, all the various characters have with Harlan, the the, the deceased author slash patriarch, right? And uh, it's like a slow reveal of these things, right? Mm. We and it's peppering, uh, yeah. So, so we're learning, like, oh, what is what? what did Richard have a motive? What was the motive? What you know? Where we we now we but also just because it's a series of shots uh, of these conversations, we're we're getting clued in that this is where we're learning about the motives. So like at this point, at the end of minute twenty, we don't know what might have put um, Joni into the suspect pool, um, but we know she's in it, mm. right? We've we've got enough filmic cues from the previous minutes that what we're gonna see is. Um, Benoit has a question, uh, has his standard questions, and he's got a question that we got a clue about, like for instance that that Joni was there earlier, that she's not going to su- suspect yeah. uh, or expect rather. Um, just like Richard was confident and like, yeah, I'll answer your questions, but we had the caterer piece of knowledge, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and it's like because we've had this series of things, we we know sort of there's a pattern that the film is l- letting us know that. This is where we're getting all the motives. This is, and also that we're going to get those in the flashbacks because these characters, th- this up family, as we're increasingly finding out, you know, it's, it has its own drama. They're all going to try and protect themselves and and lie. Yeah. So we can kind of so like moving into minute twenty one, we can expect a reveal in flashback and a lie. You know, like that's the pattern the film is showing, and I really like the. The juxtaposition that, that Ryan Johnson has has done consistently with many of these shots, right? Like this repetition of these close-ups on the actor clearly acting like they are fumbling and trying to cover for a thing, and a cut to what they're covering over. Yeah, what what surprises me among the structure of kind of everyone giving their side and there being the hint of the lie, I haven't brought up, um, especially when we were talking about kind of experience with this as a, a genre as a whole a couple of days ago is an inspector calls and how probably how influential that play and that text was to this format um uh do you want to speak more about that that's a thing okay. i don't know it was a it was a play that i had to study for um gcse so i remember it pretty well and that is about a girl who uh committed suicide and they this basically this inspector comes to this it, it's it's all done as a, I can't remember what the correct term is as a play, but it's it's all done essentially as one long scene over like an hour or an hour and a half. Right. And it's um. Uh, this inspector comes into the house of this rich family, and says to them, that he's gonna, and it says to them basically that, some of them are involved in what led to this girl killing herself, and he wants to interview him, and it's the slow way of them all finding out that they were unknowingly connected to this murder well not this murder her her suicide that all the opportunities they had to help her they didn't and it's a lot of these people Mm. when they said her name don't know her name but suddenly one of them realizes that he'd slept with her another person realizes that he ran a factory that she was in someone else realized that she's the reason that she got fired from her next job 
someone turned down giving her money um, for to support her child. And it's just this whole kind of spiraling thing. But that involves a lot of them kind of telling lies, but kind of slowly revealing the truth. And it's... I think it's it's it's, Interesting. it's really fascinating. It's one of the one texts I did in English that I actually really enjoyed, um, and it was. I'm gonna. T- it was take made a look into there were two film versions: one with Alistair Sim, uh, that was done in 1954, and one in 2015 um, with Ken Stott and Miranda Richardson, uh, that was directed by. Ashling Walsh, who has been on Two Minutes About Time, so I'm going to just kind of plug that one more. <laughs> uh, Ashling Walsh is a, a great director. Um, so yeah, I definitely, I, I really enjoy it, and I recommend it as as a film and as a as a text. And I think, I think I'm not too familiar to know the complete format and to know whether this is this was largely influential. But I'd imagine this structure was largely affected by the release of that play. Which let me just find out when the play was written. I should know, but it's been a while. It was uh, nineteen. Hang on, it says nineteen ninety-two here. That's not true. Nineteen forty-five. There we go. It was first performed in nineteen forty-five. So it's it's likely been influential to the to the genre as a whole and to the huh. kind of narrative structure. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna have to add it to my list of to reads and to watch the adaptations. That sounds right up my alley. Um, yeah, it's interesting, right? That it that's a like sort of single single shot, if you will. Yeah, right? like, like a lot of the, the, the continuous films tend time to go into kind of flashbacks, but the way that the play is done and the way that the play was originally written is just yeah, kind of one shot. Here are these people in the room. People will come in and out of the room, but it's very much these characters talking to each other. The inspector might take them to the side. Uh, one of the big things is that he shows a couple of them a photograph of her, and uh, that it's, it's kind of theorized a lot throughout the um throughout people who talking about the play as to whether it's actually all the same girl as well as or as to whether he just had them all reveal their secrets and showed them different pictures of different people like it's it's really interesting oh interesting the films can't go yeah, into that territory because I mean, they actually show you the photos and the flashbacks but as yeah. a play it's a really interesting reading um the uh yeah it's it's also brought up that in knives out um the all the flashbacks are either direct so they're they're someone telling someone a thing or they're someone going over the thing before like like in this minute right the the richard is clearly thinking about that that uh, afternoon fight in detail before telling a lie about it so it's it's almost like this is what he's got. His mental state is 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 focusing on this in that moment of the film versus like a cutaway, you know, a stronger cutaway. We're always attached to the present throughout. Yeah, and I just just to um, say, I did the flashbacks. Um, I I have just googled around in spectacles to see whether it had any influence, and someone tweeted Ryan Johnson and asked him, and he said, "No, not really. I watched the adaptation of it recently, but I haven't seen it on the stage." So he he, he it's he, it's not knowingly oh. influenced by it, but it has been described by oh. a few people as. As like in spectacles. Interesting. Well, I mean, if it is, if it's been around for that long, you know, other things are probably yeah. influenced, and those could be influenced, and that's the way it goes, right? Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, yeah. So uh, at this point, um, I think if we don't have anything else to say about that minute, our sort of closing topic for the week is is a more 
general conversation about the film, uh, which will contain spoilers. So um, let's do that now. So spoiler, if you don't haven't seen the whole film yet, uh, maybe take take a break uh pop from back the in episode. about two minutes from the end uh, to get our plugs just to <laughs> yeah we need to get them in there uh or just re-listen to monday's episode where we both plug things yeah. i suppose um but yeah um so yeah spoiler alert uh, uh but now uh it's open season luke i mean actually let's continue that conversation i mean now that we have the yeah the, the, i'm yeah, I, I can't uh, remember. I can't even remember who done it, to be frankly honest. <laughs> oh, that's oh, really funny. Um, so, so I guess, I mean, I think that's the strength of the film because it, it's just really enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, and um, so what I was saying about that repetition, obviously, Jolie does have a, a motive, and that's that she's been double dipping on her child's tuition and, and stuff and whatnot. And we find most of the... Um, most of the family by the end finds out the various things uh, that were the possible motives. Yeah. Um, uh, and and uh, yeah, no, obviously um, it was uh, an accident of the oddest order um, because, uh, I mean, maybe you don't have to actually go over who done it. I guess, what are your general thoughts, even though they were hazy, obviously, about about the movie? Um, I, I very much remember enjoying it. I remember how many twists and turns it had. It wasn't. It wasn't like a. And there is nothing wrong with him and his style of filmmaking. It's not like an M Night Shyamalan. Oh wow, his one big twist shocker. It was like there were so many little twists that you were never quite sure it was going to go. And I, it's not one of the films that you go into, I think, expecting there to be a ton of twists either. It's one where you expect it to kind of build up and kind of figure something out. But And it's always good to have a twist. And I guess they are sort of tropes of the genre, but not as many as it had here. I don't remember what the twists were, but I remember being continually shocked that pretty much every time you thought you'd figured it out, they kind of pulled something else out to confuse you. Yeah, and, and yet it wasn't like... A lot of it was just different spins on the same information. It wasn't like you were like you were dead wrong um yeah it was like oh but this other thing was happening in the background that changes the interpretation of of, of like so we have i mean the big thing is that like marta thinks that she did it and we find out that she didn't quite do it but like she's an unreliable narrator while being honest to a fault which yeah. i think is a really interesting twist a really clever way of doing that and like we talked about the the sequel uh, ideas that you had the really great one about the ensemble yeah. approach uh, uh, on on Wednesday's episode, but I think that's one of my worries is that like par- a large part of that magic is the dynamic between Marta and Benoit, but also the like you know the fact that she pukes when she uh, lies, yeah, get, enabling her to be immediately trusted by Benoit, but also that trust being kind of misplaced because he's not as great a detective as the New Yorker seems to think. Uh, how you catch? Yeah, I like I I like I like the reveal of of him not being as as great. I think it, it's good to find the flaws in the detective as well as everything else. Yeah, I think that's what makes us right, which is why I'm interested in seeing that character again. Uh, but also, it's why I'm skeptical of sequels and stuff because how do you 
you can't just have a new Marta character to be a good foil for those. No, and Daniel Craig's the only confirmed cast on IMDb for the series. Yeah. I mean, uh, having said that, I mean Ryan Johnson seems to know what he's doing. Uh, I just, it just like that's yeah. the worry I have because. But he's he's not done any sequels, no. is he? Well, I mean Star Wars technically, but. Well, yeah, but like no sequels to his own work, so it's it's new territory for him as well. Mm-hmm. Which, in one way, proves that it means that he has faith in doing it right because he doesn't go doing sequels willy nilly. But in another way, it's. It's like maybe he doesn't know how to do it properly. Yeah, exactly. It's like he he thinks he's got an idea, but we're not. But he might not be able to do it well. Like who knows, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah. So so that's sort of the. Some sequels are brilliant, admittedly. So it's it's not instantly a bad thing with a sequel. Yeah. I mean, Toy Story two is a wonderful movie, as is Paddington two. Uh, Godfather two. I feel like def- I feel I brought those both up. Yeah, Godfather two, which I still haven't seen. Empire Strikes Back. One, so I need to. Uh, I yeah I should uh, Mamma Mia too I'll go with that <laughs> screenplay by Richard Curtis just plug that in um, no story by Richard Curtis screenplay by someone else um, but there's there, there are some there yeah. are some good sequels definitely but it's it's a dangerous territory to enter yeah and uh, like I, like I said uh, hopefully it's done right but I think so much of this film is not Benoit Blanc right and so the fact that we only thing we know is that. Benoit Blanc is returning in Knives Out 2. Uh, yeah. It's like, okay, but like, I'm not super attached to him. He's not Sherlock Holmes. In fact, that, that's one of the brilliant things about the film is that he's not Sherlock Holmes, right? He's not this brilliant detective. He's actually quite bad at times. He like barely catches that they should be paying attention to the muddy tracks, for example. Like he's just not mm. good. Uh, which is great, and he also like doesn't have a good read of. Uh, he's over trusting of Marta because she's a good person. That's not a good de- detect the trait for a shrewd detective to have, but that's why it works. That's and like the heart of the film is that there was like that that she's the best person in the group, and Harlan saw that, and the best thing could, that could happen is that she and her family are better off, right? Um, and yeah. Again, I think that that the way saying it that way, you're like, right. So Martha's kind of the protagonist, but how could she be in it? The way the film ends, etc. So, so I, I don't know. Uh, I really liked it. I'm gonna. I've only seen it the one time in prep for this podcast, as I revealed on Monday, I think. Um, but I'm definitely gonna watch it again. Uh, hopefully, yeah, not fall into over watching it now that I've seen. 15 minutes of the film um quite closely many many times uh but i uh yeah uh i'm 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 looking forward to knives out too what i like about this film is that it operates on two levels like it's it's got that murder mystery it's got those twists etc but it's also just very entertaining again because like we talked about this week um so much is packed in but there's space for those things to breathe still like that balance is so well done by ryan johnson um that like yeah, I, I don't remember all the twists because kind of you can kind of just like watch it. Yeah, and I think I would have loved to have seen Knives Out in the cinema. Uh, me too. Uh, it, it annoys me that I missed that. So I, I hope the sequel has the same. Um, and I, I would try and see that in the cinema, I think, uh, just to kind of 
take in the the experience the the shared experience that I'm sure would be great fun. Yeah, and also like I I really like uh Ryan Johnson's approach to the filmmaking, especially the sort of nods to the genre. Um and those dynamic cuts and stuff um or dynamic camera movements within shots. Uh there's so many of them in the film and I'd love to see those on the big screen as well. Just be able to really take in all those details. Awesome. Well, mm-hmm. I yeah, I I enjoyed it and I enjoyed talking about this. I do I do regret the fact that I hadn't got round to rewatching it, and hopefully I still had an interesting enough perspective. But I believe you yeah, did. Life has been weird and what? Manic. But it's twenty twenty one. I thought all that was supposed to immediately <laughs> magically change when the date changed. Of course, yeah. That's how time works. Um, mm. Cool. Uh, speaking about time, uh, you have done shows about time. Um, that was that was I, I I think what I commend most about this is your segues. That is that was brilliant. <laughs> yes, we have we've come to the end of the spoiler talk, uh, but uh, also the end uh, of our week. Uh, so take your time. Tell us uh, tell people where they can get a hold of you, etc., and your opinions and the things you've done. Yeah. So my my big plug, which I hope exists by the time this goes out. So I'm I'm going to be vague about what I reveal about this because I don't know what's officially announced yet is I'm working on a film at the moment called Reduce to Clear, um, which you can find uh, listed on IMDb at the moment. At the t- For the time being, uh, the cast has not yet been announced, but I can confirm it is a brilliant cast that has just ex- excited me about the people that we get to work with. Um, we've got a brilliant team of uh, people behind it. Um, Ewan McIntosh from The Office is exec producing the film. Uh, which is really exciting. I've never had an exec producer, but he he's been really really helpful in in pushing that further. We've yeah some brilliant people acting in it, but as part of that, we do. I hate I hate to say this, we do need your money, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but or or any support really. So if you get to my website lukeallen.co.uk, if our crowdfund is set up, it will be there probably on the front page. If not, then lucky you um but essentially yeah any support is appreciated i understand being 2021 uh, and with the events of 2020 that not everyone is in a financial position i say most people probably aren't in the financial position to support something like this and that is completely understandable Uh, and i'm not instantly coming on shows and expecting everyone to give us money because it feels i'm I'm joking about it because it feels so horrible and, and wrong to do but if 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 you're able to just share it pop it out you know if you're interested in a surrealist comedy set in a charity shop and supporting the works of two 16 year old hopefully up and coming filmmakers uh who just want to bring surrealism kind of back to the public eye and have some fun after the events of the past year or two uh then that's that's what we've got so yeah please check out the website check out the imdb and just share it around get the word out um about this this film which i'm really looking forward to getting to start production on uh, other than that twitter llama underscore bottle zero instagram ginger luke facebook luke allen film already said luke allen the uk uh two minutes about time christmas actually and please be seated uh linked there two minutes about time on facebook twitter and instagram christmas act pod on facebook twitter and instagram and please be tweeted on twitter i think we have a facebook page but i can't remember i haven't used it in ages the show's dead basically but there's episodes you can listen to 
Uh, that might be everything. I'm not quite sure, but I'll, I'll pass over to you nonetheless. Sounds good. Uh, you can re- reach me at the Omniarch, T-H-E-O-M-N-I-A-R-C-H, on all of the things except Twitch, where I occasionally stream at the underscore Omniarch. Uh, yeah, so Facebook, Instagram, the usuals. Uh, I also um, host two podcasts on the Out of Lives Network. That's outoflives.net. Uh, one is Tanked Up, the podcast all about craft beer and video games. And the other is Geek Out Weekly, where... We uh, geek out about things either currently in the nerdosphere or from our past, uh, not too strongly, because it's geek out, W-E-A-K-L-Y, basically non-gatekeeper, don't have time for it, but like things, chat. Um, That's about it. You can reach the show at Knives Out Minute on Twitter, and don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on your podcatcher of choice, and tell your friends, family, loved ones, hated ones, people who might like the the show, all about it. Uh, Thanks again, Luke, for being our guest this week. It's been really fun, and I'm I'm glad to meet and chat with you. Yeah, it's been great fun. I said said before recording, I love guest spotting, because it's just, I get to say stuff and not have to worry about editing it. It's it's brilliant. I look at the episode lengths and don't have to panic about when I'm going to have time to do it, so... Good yeah, luck, I mean, it's kind of the best of both, world, both worlds being the guest host because uh, mm. I can ostensibly control things. But um, as I'm sure you've noticed, uh, I like the odd tangent. Uh, a spoiler alert for yeah. one of my other weeks, uh, I break the 40-minute barrier again later. Um, <laughs> so thanks again, Darren, for all your hard work organizing this and editing it. Uh, and this has been us. Uh,